Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you here today, especially if this is your first time with us. We're so glad that you're here. Like John was saying, we're just glad that you chose today to be the day, and I hope you'll come back, and if there's any questions we can answer for you, um, please let us know. We'd love to connect with you. Hey, we do have a saying around here at New Life, and if you've been around here for any length of time, you've probably heard it and you probably know it. It's definitely a saying that's very close to my heart. It goes like this, God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. Very good. God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. And it's in that little phrase, that this little simple phrase, do we see and hear Jesus' message and Jesus' interaction with people all over the New Testament. Like, like in John 8, when, when some men in that, in that town that Jesus was at, they found this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and they dragged her through the streets up to Jesus, and they're like, hey, we're going to kill her. What do you think about that? And you remember what Jesus said to them on that day? He said, he who has no sin, what? Cast the first stone. And the Bible says one by one, they dropped their stones, they walked away, and then it was just Jesus and this woman. And Jesus said, um, where are your accusers? Is nobody here left accusing you? And she's like, no, I guess not. And Jesus says, go and sin no more. He didn't tell her, I'll just keep doing what you're doing, you're fine. No, he said, no, go and sin no more. It's time to chart a new path in your life. It's time to change your trajectory, do something different. Think about when, when Jesus met Zacchaeus that one day in Luke chapter 19. Remember Zacchaeus was the wee little man who climbed up in a sycamore tree? No, we're not going to sing it together this morning, that song. But he, he went to Zacchaeus' house, and, and Jesus confronted him, and, and he repented of his sin, and he said, I'm going to change everything. And what did Jesus say? Salvation has come to this house. Why could Jesus be so optimistic about those kind of encounters. Why, why could Jesus be that way? Because what was true for them is the same that is true for each and every one of us, that God cares more about where your life is headed than where your life has been. Now, if that's true, and I certainly believe, you know I believe with all my heart that it's true, then what that means is somebody who could have cared less about God during their life, could have chased their own desires, gain, you know, pursued gains in whatever way they saw fit. People who, who lacked integrity or cheated in every possible way possible, made mistakes at every turn, and left paths of damage and destruction everywhere they went. Someone like that could still have a great future with God. They can repent, leave their life of sin, and salvation can come to their home. It's kind of like what the Old Testament prophet Micah was talking about when, when, when he kind of captures this, this concept about God so well in Micah chapter 7, verse 18. He says, you know, like, uh, who is a God like you? He's not really asking a question. He's more or less making a statement. Who out there is a God like you? And he says, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. He's talking specifically about Israel, but what he's talking about is a universal truth that transcends even to us today about God. Who is a God like you that forgives people? That's what he's saying. He said, you do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us and, and will tread our sins underfoot. And listen to this next part. And hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Who is a God like you 
<coughs> forgives people their sins and takes those sins and hurls them out into the sea. That's what Micah is, is stating. What an incredible image of a God who forgives. He's like, he takes all that stuff in our past, all that junk, and hurls it away. You know, how somebody would have understood that back in the day that Micah wrote that, they would have understood that if something gets thrown out into the sea, you're never going to see that again. If you're out on the sea and you drop something overboard and it sinks, it's gone forever. They didn't have any modern tools like we do today where they could actually go down and retrieve something. No, no, no. You lose something in the sea, it is gone forever. And so when he says God takes all those sins, all that past, throws them out to the sea, they would have gone, oh, you mean like gone, gone. That concept could not be any more true than it is for our next underdog in our series. The underdog that we're going to be learning about today had quite a dark past. In fact, it's that dark past that lands him on our underdog list. It is that dark past that he would have to overcome in order for God to use him. His name in the Bible is Saul, but when God changed his heart, God sent him down a new path in his life. God also changed his name from Saul to Paul. You know, it's interesting. There's a number of times that when God changes somebody's heart, he changes their name. He gives them a whole new identity. We've seen it even in our list of underdogs in this series. So he starts as Saul, and he ends up as Paul, and today we most commonly refer to him as the Apostle Paul. But when we first meet him in the Bible, let's be honest, those of us that know his story, we don't like him very much, do we? In fact, if we were reading the book of Acts, that's where we're introduced into Paul's life, if we're reading that for the first time, and we don't have a clue who this guy is, and, and we come across his story, we do not like him very much. We're like, oh man, the villain has arrived. Every story has a villain, right? And Paul plays the villain in the early days of the church. But as we keep reading about Paul, we quickly know that he has a change of heart, doesn't he? And God would go ahead and use this guy who has this incredibly dark past to write nearly two-thirds of the New Testament. God would use this guy with an incredibly dark past to, to be a catalyst for spreading the gospel rapidly throughout the known world. God still uses the inspired words of this underdog to reach millions and millions and millions of people every year with the good news of Jesus. Now the Bible is full of stories about people who had to overcome their past, but it's the Apostle Paul who we could say that uh, if anyone should have been disqualified from ever being used of God, it should have been him. But in that, we also see one of the great truths. And if you don't remember anything else from today's teaching, I hope you'll remember this, that there is no past that is too dark that will disqualify someone from being used in the present and in the future. That's what Paul's life teaches me. That there is no past too dark that will disqualify somebody from being used by God in the future and even right now in this present day. If you brought a Bible with you, would you turn to Acts chapter 26? That's where we're going to be today. Um, our whole time will be there. And if, there's, if you'd like, there are Bibles in the pockets around you, in front of you. You can grab one of those. And I'd like for you to turn to Acts. And of course, all the scriptures will be behind me on the screens. You can follow along as well that way. But in, in the book of Acts, let me just kind of give you a little context of what is happening. 
The book of Acts, just in case you don't know, is the fifth book in the New Testament. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the four Gospels. And then we come to the book of Acts. Now here's what the book of Acts is all about. The book of Acts records the events of the beginning and the launching of the church. And the evangelism explosion that took place all around the known world in the first century. That's what the book of Acts is all about. It begins at the very beginning with the ascension of Jesus. He goes off into the clouds. Everybody goes, sees him float away. And, uh, and then they go back to Jerusalem and God sends them a gift, which is the Holy Spirit. And when the gift of the Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, they go out in the streets and they start preaching. And 3,000 people are saved that day and the church is born. And that's at the very beginning of Acts. And then the rest of it is all about the church and its growing and all of those things. Now what the book of Acts does for us is it records one of the greatest conversion stories. Somebody who was lost and then coming, becoming found in Christ. That's what I mean, conversion stories. It contains one of the greatest conversion stories of all time. And it's Paul's conversion story. And we come across it in Acts chapter 9. And so from Acts chapter 9... To the end of the book of Acts, it pretty much catalogs what God is doing through Paul's life to evangelize the lost, plant churches, and, and, as a, and, and, you, and God using him as a catalyst for this evangelism explosion all over the known world. Paul will go on three missionary journeys and all of the, it's a fast, if you've never read the book of Acts, go read the book of Acts, learn about how all this got started. That's Acts. So, by the time we get to Acts chapter 26, Paul's getting up there in age. He has he's been a Christian for a lot of years now. From Acts 9 to Acts 26, a lot of time has passed. He is very well established in the Christian community. He, he is a leader. He's a mover and shaker, if you will. He's been in and out of prison multiple times. Done I mean, all this stuff about his life that we read about. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 26, we learn that Paul, he is in the city of Jerusalem, and he is preaching about Jesus, and he gets arrested. And he gets dragged into the religious courts where they challenge him on what he's doing. These are people that don't like Paul. They don't like Jesus. They don't like the church. But within that group, they can't decide what to do with Paul. There are some that want him to die for preaching on Jesus, and there are others that don't. And so while they're trying to figure this out, behind the scenes, there is a plan hatched to assassinate Paul. There's a group of guys that got together, and they're going to take matters in their own hands, and we're going to kill them. But this plan becomes known, and so in the middle of the night, the, the leadership ushers Paul over to another city to save his life. So when he's in this other city, the governor takes over his case. And the governor has no clue what to do with him. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't think he's done anything that deserves to die. But he also didn't want to make all the Jewish people mad. And so he keeps him in jail for two years, frozen by indecision, not knowing what to do. So there's a transition of power. A new governor comes in two years later. He inherits this problem that the previous governor has. And he goes, I don't know what to do with Paul either. Around that time, the king was coming through his community. His name is King Agrippa. And he goes, I'll go talk to King Agrippa, and he'll help me figure out what this to do with Paul. So he tells King Agrippa. And King Agrippa goes, let me talk to Paul, and I'll help you figure this out. Acts chapter 26 is the conversation between Paul the prisoner over two years and King Agrippa 
and his wife Bernice and a room full of leading officials of the day. That's what Acts 26 is all about. And when Paul begins to talk, Paul is going to unpack his life before the king. The good, the bad, and the very dark. So let's start in verse 4 of chapter 26. This is what Paul says to the king. He's allowed to speak freely. And he says, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Paul admits to the king and everybody in the room, listen, I used to be a Pharisee. And there are a lot of people around here that if they're willing to testify, they can tell you what kind of Pharisee I was. He's admitting, I was arrogant. I was self-righteous. I was one of these misguided leaders that now wants me dead. Look at the next verse. What's he say? He goes, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He admitted right there to the king, I used to be just like the guys that now want me dead, just like the guys that killed Jesus. I used to be just like that. I wanted to stop the church. I wanted to eradicate the name of Jesus from the land. I opposed it every turn. Look at verse 10. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priest, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And, when they were, and then when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Did you catch that? Did you catch what he just admitted to? He said, I was so driven to destroy Christianity that I even had some of those Christians killed because of it. Friends, that's a whole new level of hatred, I hope you know. It's one thing to say, I don't like you. It's another thing to say, I don't like that, that you represent. But it's something altogether different to say, I am going to, or I have killed people because I tried to stop what they were doing. So Paul's admitting, that's where my heart was. Full-on oppression of these Christians. And then he says this in verse 11. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme, which was a crime, by the way, punishable by death. I was so obsessed with, obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Paul's like, I was obsessed with persecuting, torturing, and killing Christians. Friends, would you agree that that is a pretty dark history? That, and that's somebody in somebody's life, that is a dark past. And, and here's the reality, though. All of us, maybe not as dark as Paul's, but all of us in our story has some dark season, some dark moments. We, there's some darkness in all of our past. past. And you, you might be saying, well, I don't have a past like Paul's. I, I really wasn't that rebellious or anything like that. But a non-past is still a past. And your so-called non-past does have some seasons where, where you, you didn't do it God's way. And you had some moments where, you know, I'm sin and I'm going to do it. So we all have something. And I think there is a temptation 
to look back over where we've been, you know, to rewind our story, if you will, and to look back at some of those seasons, some of those chapters in our story, and, and to let those things disqualify us from serving the Lord today. Maybe you look back at certain chapters of your story, and you're reminded of decisions that you made that you're just absolutely not proud of, or, or maybe those stories remind you of consequences that you endured because of those decisions, maybe consequences that you're still enduring to this day. Or maybe some of those chapters tell stories about how you've hurt people and how you've wounded people and changed their lives, but not for the better, but for the worse. And maybe there is a chapter or two in your story that's so filled with pain that it tends to creep up on you when you're not expecting it, sabotaging whatever confidence you had moving forward for the Lord. It's that, that pain is going to rob you of your joy. I heard this one time that one of the greatest enemies of our future is our past. And I think that's why in my heart I feel so compelled as your preacher to remind you often of this truth. God does care more about where you're going than where you've been. Because we all have those dark moments in our past. We all have those couple chapters we don't want to come to light that they do plague us from time to time. And I want to remind you often, God cares more about where you're going than where you have been. Paul, he had a dark past. But all that changed one day. He tells the king, listen, I had a life-altering moment with Jesus, and this is how that went. You got verse 12? He's going to tell him when it all changed. That's who he was, but this is when it changed. Verse 12, on one of these journeys, this is when he was out persecuting Christians, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road, and I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. Now that is a pretty dramatic story, isn't it? There's other details in the Bible. We know that Paul was blinded by this light for several days. There were things that, that happened. But it's this incredible, life-altering moment. And, uh, and I think about our stories even in this room. I, I think about how, how God has used moments to get a hold of our hearts and, and how all those stories are different. Paul's story is quite dramatic. God literally had to knock him off of his high horse. Literally had to knock him off. And I wonder if there's anyone whose story in this room of coming to the Lord includes a moment when God had to knock you off your high horse to get your attention. I, I told people um, in other services, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to nod your head, but anybody have a story like that? There was a guy on Saturday night, he goes, that's my story, pastor, real loud, right when I asked that. And I said, I didn't say you had to admit it. But God literally had to knock Paul off his high horse. And I wonder how many of us in here have a story like that. Maybe not as dramatic as Paul's, but God had to knock us off our horse to get our attention. It's a life 
life-altering moment. And what I mean by that is that there was this moment, there's this moment of, of revelation in your mind and in your eyes, like, I am not living in such a way that pleases God. And, and that is a huge moment of conviction, and it's a part of every one of our stories who've ever come to Christ. That life-altering moment when you realize, I am not living for Jesus. He's not pleased with my behavior, my actions, my life, my heart, my mind, any of it. For Paul, he had to get knocked off his horse. And from that moment, for him on the Damascus Road, nothing would be the same after that. Now, here's the part of the story that I really love, and it's a part of the story that we often just kind of blow over and don't pay much attention to. It's in verse 16. So God knocks him down, and then he says this to him, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you. Paul got knocked down, but what did he also have to do? He had to get up. And in some ways, this is my opinion, but in some ways, I think this is more than Paul just getting off the ground. I think that this is Jesus' way of telling Paul that I'm not going to let you stay on the ground. I'm not going to let you stay down in guilt and condemnation. It's time for you to get up. I did not knock you down to keep you down. Look at the rest of verse 16. Get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you. Why? To appoint you as a servant. And as a witness of what you have seen, and to witness this and what you will see of me. I think there's a lot wrapped up in this verse. But I really think this is the Lord's way of saying, I've knocked you down, but you're not going to stay down. I've got a job for you today. And I've got a job for you in the future, which communicates a very important thing to me that I'd like to share with you. It says to me, that not only can God forgive a dark past like Paul's, but there is a way to move forward in life released from guilt and condemnation. Get up, Paul. I've got a job for you to do. And there is no time and no room in your life moving forward for guilt and condemnation. I, you know, Paul could not have known this at that moment. There's no way he could have known this. But God is about to take his whole life story, even the darkest parts, and he is going to use it for his glory. Now, we read that all throughout the rest of his life, that God's, you know, going to take his story, use it for his glory, and God wants to use your story, too, and use it for his glory as well. His glory will best be seen in your willingness to let go of condemnation and guilt that tries to hold you down. His glory is best seen when you walk in freedom. And you know, I, I just thought too, studying this out, that if God didn't want Paul living under that weight of guilt and condemnation, surely he doesn't want us to live our lives under the same weight. God never knocks us down to keep us down. And I wonder though, how many in our church family who have been here over this entire weekend, our four services, are letting guilt and shame and condemnation keep you down. Sabotage those moments where you're about to walk forward in faith with God and serve Him in His name. And I wonder how many of us are letting guilt and shame keep us down. Paul keeps telling the king everything that happened. In verse 17, he tells the king of what Jesus said to him. 
Jesus said, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. She's like, Paul, I've got something great for you to do. I'm appointing this moment to raise you up to do something fantastic. And Jesus intended to take this underdog with such a dark past and to use his life to serve as a witness to a group of people that would never know about Jesus without him. You see, this is still in the early days of the church. You know, the gospel hasn't spread all over the known world, yet there were parts that Paul was perfectly equipped to go and take the good news too. And he's saying, listen, I didn't knock you down to keep you down. I got a purpose for your life. We're going to let go of the past, and I've got you, Paul. You are going to be the one to take my gospel message to these people who would not hear about it otherwise. Which points to this incredible truth about Paul's life and about ours too. God is about to take Paul's pain and all of his past, and he's going to turn it into his platform. We see this all throughout his life. His pain and his past, it becomes his platform that he uses to connect and reach those who don't know Jesus. So, so the Lord's plan is revealed. I, I, I'm going to forgive you, Paul, of your dark past. I'm going to release you of the condemnation of it so I can leverage you to move forward in my glory, to position you where I need you to be. Now, I don't know if you have ever thought about your story like that before. Those chapters that you're not proud of, those dark moments that, that you've repented of and God's forgiven you of that still kind of weigh on you. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but did you know your darkest hour can become God's tool if we'll surrender it to him? Your story can become your platform, just like it was for Paul. Matt Keller, in his book on underdogs, he says, Jesus told Paul that his past had the power to turn people from darkness to light. How ironic that one person's darkness, when yielded to God, can bring light into someone else's darkness. Paul's dark days, they needed forgiving. But God was going to take that and use it as a tool so other people could know the same forgiveness. That's how God works. God can use your story just like Paul's. The events of your past will resonate with other people in your life. So like if we took the time and let all of you come up here and tell your story of how you came to know Jesus, did you know that your story is going to resonate, I bet you, with at least 10 or 15 people in this room? 10 or 15 people are going to go, your story sounds like my story. You know, something like that happened to me. You know what? I turned my eyes to Jesus over something very similar. Why? Because our stories resonate with people. Paul's story resonated with lost people. Our stories resonate with lost people. And you know that the events of your past, they'll resonate the best when those people see you today walking in freedom. I'm not bound by guilt and shame anymore. I'm walking in freedom and believe it or not, that will inspire them to seek forgiveness and freedom as well. Matt Keller also said, when we surrender our dark past to Jesus, refuse to live under condemnation, 
and embrace our appointment, God will actually use us to help others find acceptance in a place in God's family. I believe he's spot on. Why does this happen? Why does it work out that way? Why does God use our story for his glory? Why does God use our pain and past as a platform for us? Why does he do those things? Simple. Because God cares more about where you're going than where you've been. God wants you to be a part of his family. God wants you to be a part of his family so bad that he paid the ultimate price for it. He wants the whole world to be a part of his family through faith in Jesus. I've shared this story with you before, but um, I'll share it with you again. It's, it's good. And it was several years ago that I shared it the first time, and since half of you weren't here several years ago, it will be like a brand new story. <laughs> story is of a, of a preacher, and he was invited to go preach at another church as a guest. And after he preached in that other church, he was invited by one of the members of the church. He was a local policeman in the community and his son to go fishing and to just spend the day on the lake to fish. And, and after fishing, they would, they would build a campfire and they would you know, sit out by the lake and cook their fish and all that stuff. And the preacher was like, that sounds like a great time. Let's do it. And so they spent the day fishing. And then when they were done, they, the sun was going down. They built their campfire and they were sitting around the campfire. And the police officer said, hey, did, you don't know this, but did you know my son is adopted? And did you want to know the circumstances of how he became my son? And the pastor goes, yeah, I'd love to hear that story. And so this man said that, uh, that uh, my son, who I've adopted, he grew up in an orphanage, and at the age of 10, he ran away from the orphanage. He lived on the streets for a couple years, and when he was 12 years old, he walked into a grocery store with a pocket knife and tried to rob it. He was brought before the judge, and that's when I met him. And I asked the judge, Judge, would you turn the boy over to my wife and I and let us care for him and try to straighten him out? And the judge granted that permission, and a year later, we were able to adopt him as our son. And then the father, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out the pocket knife. And he goes, this is the very pocket knife right here that my son tried to use to, to rob that grocery store when he was 12 years old. And you know what? Whenever he steps out of line or gets unruly or, or messes up or does something that I think is wrong, I pull out that pocket knife. And I remind him where he came from. And I remind him what landed him in the positions he landed in. I, I let him know. What, that, uh, of his wrongdoing and, and where his life was. And the pastor listened to him tell this story and hold that pocket knife. And he looked over at the son who was now in his early teens. And he could see on his son's face the shame of that, the guilt of that. He could, he could, the pastor could read on the kid's face that when his father was telling the story that he was feeling unwanted all over again. And so the pastor said to the father, he said, you know, the Bible tells us that when God forgives our sins, he casts those sins out of the deepest part of the sea, never to be heard of again. Do you think that God brings those things back up in front of us when we get unruly, when we make mistakes, when we mess up again? And the father thought about that. He said, no, I guess he doesn't. 
I guess God doesn't ever do that. And it, and it was like this wave of realization came over this father's entire body. And he looked at his knife. And he looked at his son. And he stood up. And he threw that knife as far as he could out into the lake. And he said, son, I love you. And I will never bring this up again another day of our lives. You know, when God buries our sins in the deepest sea, he posts a sign over your heart that says, no fishing allowed. God never intended us. This may be brand new information for you. This may be a different message than what you heard other preachers say, but I want you to know that God never intended for you to live every day of your life in guilt and condemnation. He doesn't. He's not looking to beat you up with it. He's not wanting you to go back and reread those chapters of your story over and over and over again. He's not going to remind you of it for the rest of your life. But what God really wants to do is he wants to turn your past pain into your platform. God wants to use your story for his glory. And I, I think about Paul's life. How in the world was Paul able to move forward? I mean, just think about it. Especially in those early days when he was interacting with these early Christians who he was just before persecuting. You know, if you read the whole story, they didn't trust him right away, remember? Isn't this the Paul who's persecuting church Christians? It took time. But can you imagine Paul sitting with other Christians in worship, knowing that there are Christians in that room with him who have lost family members because of him? I mean, how, did Paul, how in the world did Paul move on from this dark past. I can't answer that in completion for you, but I can give you some things that he wrote about that I think he thought about often. One of those places, and I'll end with this, is Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and I think this is going to mean something to all of us. He says this, he's thinking about his past and his future and all that he's been through, and he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. In other words, I'm not a perfect guy. I haven't got this all figured out. That's what he's trying to say. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, listen, I, I, I'm not a perfect guy. I haven't lived a perfect life. But here's what I do. I'm going to press on. That's all I can do. And then he says, brothers and sisters, in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Can I paraphrase? I'm not a perfect person, and I haven't lived a perfect life, but I am redeemed, and Jesus saved me. So here's all I know how to do. i got to look forward. I can't look backwards. i got to press on towards what God's calling me to. What's God calling us all to? Heaven i got to press on towards that. In other words, he's saying, I cannot live my life looking in the rearview mirror. I've got to stare out the front windshield. That's what he's saying. I press on towards the front, and i got to try to forget what happened behind. I press on. You know what Paul's saying? God cares more about where I'm going 
than where I've been. God knocked me down, not to keep me down. God gave a purpose in my life. He wants to use my story for his glory. He wants to turn my pain into my platform. And he wants to do that for each and every one of us as well.